I did something different. There we go. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure I, uh, well, you don't need to know what I did this morning. But anyway, uh, on my way back, uh, I got back last night from Indiana, but I was at a pastor's retreat. And it was, uh, it was put on by uh, some, uh, a ministry called Practical Shepherding that I've been involved with for uh, two or three years now. Um, and I just want to tell you, it was, it was one of the um, best things I've ever done pastorally for my continued personal spiritual growth as well as practical pastoral ministry. And I just want to say thank you for being a church who cares enough to send your pastor away on these kinds of things and let your pastor go away on these kinds of things. I really, really appreciate it and, and benefit greatly from it. And so um, I, it's just another way I feel that your love for us as me, but us as a family as well, because it makes me a better husband also. Um, and uh, uh, it, a lot of people don't realize it, but it helps, <laughs> helps us feel like part of the church too that we're being cared for as well. And a lot of times pastors don't feel that. And so um, just want to thank you for that. Uh, it, was a, it was a fantastic time, and some of you will probably hear about things individually from me. But one of the best things about it uh, is they had a panel uh, where they would have, they'd have different panels where they'd have, and there's only like 60 of us at this thing, so it was a small group. Um, and it was by invitation only, but they'd have a panel of different pastors. So they had like a veteran panel. These guys have been in ministry 20, 30 years. Well, no, longer than me. I've been in ministry 20 years, so 30, 40 years. They had one guy that had been, he pastored for 50 years and he was there. And uh, apparently he's a well-known guy, but I'd not really ever heard of him. But anyway, I knew it was his church. Um, But anyway, one of the best panels they had was they had three pastor's wives come in and they let us, a group of, of pastors, ask them any question we wanted. And um, they were, I mean, they were awesome ladies that were gracious and kind. It was just a really a reminder to me of how thankful I am for my wife, uh, for Bethany, and for pastor's wives. And I just want to appreciate that you guys um, have cared for us well in these last uh, seven months. It's only been seven months. I know because of COVID, it feels like four and a half years. But um, anyway, really thankful for you guys. This morning, though, uh, that's enough of that. But uh, this morning, we're going to continue our, our slow, steady march through the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew in the series that we're calling The Greatest Sermon Ever, all right? And uh, go ahead and open your Bible or your device uh, for finding Scripture, get to Matthew chapter 5. To, this morning, we're going to be in verses 33 through 42, and uh, just kind of stick your thumb in there and, and prepare yourselves. You're going to have to listen fast because uh, I prepared more notes than normal. And, uh, and I've already used a bunch of time telling you how thankful I am for you. So now you've got to listen fast. But you'll be fine. When I say these phrases to you, what comes to mind? Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Or you promise... I pinky promise. We pinky swear to it? Yeah. And then you do the little like thing, right? You've probably heard uh, one of these, uh, at least maybe not today, but when you were a child or maybe if you had children, especially if they're about my age, you probably heard that. Well, we felt as kids that we had to like make this, if we were going to say something that we wanted them to really trust or really know, a promise we were going to make, that these kinds of things, these little like childlike oaths, Right? They added weight to whatever we were agreeing to. It was, it was like simply saying yes or no wasn't enough. We thought that if we just said yes or no, especially to mom or dad, that there might be some wiggle room. If we just said yeah, then there might be wiggle room. 
or no, there might be wiggle room. Maybe there was some space for us to flu- uh, excuse me, fudge the truth a little, if we, but, but if we crossed our heart and hoped to die, serious business. Of course, if you had your fingers crossed behind your back, all bets were off, right? Today, we're going to talk about how we interact with others regarding our words and our actions toward them. And when they ask us to give an answer for something or when we're confronted with someone coming against us and how our words and actions play into that and what Jesus has to say about what the law said, but then how he really got down to the heart of the law. I really struggled preparing this sermon this week, and part of it because I was in Indiana, obviously my mind was on some other things. But I just really had to wrestle with this passage about how do you... (laughs) How do you bring up the topic of oaths and then, you know, talk about that? And then there's the whole, the second part of the passage, which we're going to get to. But I've got it boiled down to two main points, and Lord willing, I want to convey those to you. But first, what I want to do is I want us to pray, and then we're going to hear from the word of the Lord. So would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for Hope Bible Fellowship. Uh, My heart this morning as we sang, and sang of the glory that that you are resurrected, saying of the glory that you gave your life, Christ, for our sins, that you rose bodily three days later. We thank you, Jesus. And and my heart is bursting with love for these people. God, I pray that as I communicate the scripture that my love for them uh, would be clear, my desire for them to live um, according to your word, not out of some legalistic uh, expectation, God, but because... um, followers of Christ do as Christ commanded and, and that's what we want that's what I want for me and as I think through these things I'm, I'm struck by where I've failed and where I have I have I have not kept my word in some instances and uh, God you're so faithful and forgiving let us not lose sight of uh, of the Savior who blots out our transgressions may I decrease and you increase Jesus be big among our people and among our hearts this morning. Call us to repentance. Let us be quick to respond. And let us be closer to you when we walk out the doors than when we walked in, Jesus. And let that carry us through in our worship during the week as well at home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 42 say this. Again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes, Or no, anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, I mentioned that I was able to boil this down with some help, <laughs> with a lot of resource help, boil this down to two main points. And those two main points that I want to cover this morning are this. Now, that doesn't mean you can go to sleep after I give you these, okay? Um, but I'll let you know when you can. Just kidding. Um, the first one is speak the truth, keeping your word. And the second is serve others sacrificially. So first, we're going to cover speak the truth, keeping your word, which is kind of the first section of the scripture. We want to be known as people who speak the truth to others. Now, I just want to say this. This is a freebie, but there is a difference between the truth and your truth. Your truth is a thing that doesn't really exist, okay? Uh, there's truth and there's falsity, okay? And when I am concerned, and, and I don't mean that as a negative statement towards anybody any of you or anybody present or anything, but I am not concerned. I am not concerned, or I don't. I don't care to hear my truth or your truth. I want to hear the truth, okay? And the truth is not subjective. It is. It is objective. There. There is truth and there is falsity. Now I understand. There's. You know. I, I understand all the ins and outs of that. And actually, maybe I don't understand all of them, but I do. But I'm concerned with the truth. And so we want to be known as the people who speak truth to others, okay? And also, we want to be the type of people who are trusted when we give a yes or a no. Don't you want to, and, and, and guys, I, I mean, I'm not a woman, but men, when you tell somebody something, you want them to trust that you will do it, right? Women, when you tell your friend, yeah, I won't say anything about this, or yes, I'll pick up the kids for you, or whatever, you want them to be able to trust that you'll do it. The reason I say men is because what do I always hear about guys? Well, that guy's a real man of his word. Man, he'll, he'll, man if he says something, he will do it. And I can say that about some of you guys, because I know, because you've been that for me already. We don't want people to expect us to make some kind of vow because they're not sure they can trust us. You know, you say, yeah, if I say, yeah, I'll do that for you. And they say, and they say, well, what can you give me to prove that you will? You know, can you, can you make some kind of vow? Can you, you know, cross my heart and hope to die kind of thing? No, we want to be people who can be trusted. So in the first part of our passage today, though, Jesus is once again, juxtapositioning the tradition of men with the heart of the law of God. So he's continuing to do what we've seen him do in the last few sections, where what he's doing is he's really taking the principles of the, of the kingdom of God, the principles of the law, the spirit, and the heart of the law, and he's applying it to the Christian life, that, that exceeding righteousness applied to the lives of men that is required. And it helps us to see where we are caught up in sin or self-righteousness. And it helps us to see the extent of the commands of the law all the way to the heart level. And when we see the extent of the commands of the law that they bore all the way down to the level of the heart, we more clearly see our sin. And when we more clearly see our sin, we more clearly understand our deep need for a Savior. So why do we talk about sin? We talk about sin so we understand where we're at positionally before Christ, and we understand why we need a Savior, and we understand that after we have, be have become followers of Christ, why we still follow Jesus, why we are thankful, because we understand the depth of our sin, and we understand clearly who we are in light of who Jesus is. Jesus would also have us understand, as, as Ligon Duncan has pointed out, 
You can see something of a person's heart for God or not for God by the way they live in relation to one another. I'm going to say that one more time because I really like that quote. Ligon's one of my favorite preachers, okay? You can see something of a person's heart for God or not for God by the way they live in relation to one another. The Pharisees were teaching what Jesus relates there in verse 33. All of us would say that seems fine, right? Oh, well, I read that, verse 33, it seems, seems fine. However, we need to understand the context that the Pharisees were talking about so we can understand how Jesus was going further. First, the Pharisees, the scribes of Pharisees, they were actually making a sort of a, a patchwork of commands from different places in Scripture. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, right, when he relates that what they had been taught, they're kind of taking these verses from the Old Testament, kind of making this patchwork of it or, or amalgamation, if you will. Levit- and I'm going to give you three of those. Leviticus 19.12. I know you woke up this morning and hoped I would talk about Leviticus It says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So if you skip over to Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then again, Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. We need to understand, culturally, vows were very, very common back then. And they were considered very solemn occasions, a very solemn thing. But secondly, what we need to understand is what the scribes and Pharisees had done is they took this kind of conglomeration of these passages of this these laws and they were using it primarily to refer to proceedings in a civil court so they took it and they applied it and primarily were using it as it applied to the civil court but not anything else that is it's as if as one scholar writes jesus was saying yes that and see once again we find that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The Pharisees limited this command to the vows they might take in court, maybe as testifying or in court or something like that. And that's, that's as far as they went. Just like in the passages before, Jesus takes it down to the heart level because that is where life change happens. That's where you find out what's going on. That's where the work has to be done on the heart level. So why do we need to be trustworthy in what we say? Why do we want people to be able to trust us? Well, first of all, and this is your like next main point is just that, or next sub point, I guess, uh, but is that God witnesses what you say. Well, yeah, duh, Pastor Cal, of course God, he sees everything, he's sovereign. Well, but have we, I mean, do we think about that? Do we think about how, how do we think about God's sovereignty uh, over our lives in everyday life? See, the, the religious leaders back then, they had left wiggle room in their oaths. Like the illustration from when we were children, right? Well, if I just say yes, but if I say cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, then there's not as much wiggle room. So they left wiggle room in their oaths. 
like, oh, I had my fingers crossed. This is especially egregious for men who likely would have known a text like Zechariah 8, 16, and 17, which says this. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. These guys were just like some modern day people playing fast and loose with the truth whenever it suits their needs or desires. Looking for the loopholes, right? They really do sound like lawyers, don't they? I was just joking. Charles Quarles points out, some first century rabbis emphasized only the importance of speaking truth to God and downplayed the importance of absolute honesty in all communication. They thought that they had a special obligation to keep promises made to God, understandably, specifically to God. But they could break promises made to others when it was convenient. So instead of only paying attention and keeping an oath that they made to God, they needed to realize that God actually is a witness to all the oaths that you make. Your communication with each other and all people should be good and true because God witnesses all of the words we say. All of the promises we make. When my wife says, please change out the laundry before you go to work. And I say, okay. And then I don't change out the laundry. And my excuse is I forgot, right? Because I forgot. But God witnesses that. Danny Aiken wrote, and I love this, disciples of Jesus are to be characterized by such honesty and integrity then an oath of any sort is completely unnecessary to add credibility to their words. It's unnecessary. You shouldn't have to add anything to your promise. If you have to add something to your promise, something is wrong. Jesus says in verse 34 and 35, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. God hears and understands every word that comes out of our mouths. Our wedding vows we take before God as well as every other word we speak. It's no mistake that this section on vows and oaths follows our passage for directly after last week's passage on divorce and remarriage. And see, at the heart of the matter, we must be true in our promises and keep our word because God does witness it. Again, our failure in this, our sin in this, when we look and go, yeah, I didn't change out the laundry, or I didn't fill in the blank, or I told that guy at work I would finish that report, and I didn't finish that report. Our failure in this, our sin, it shows us our need for a Savior. So rather than making it go, oh man, I'm the worst, yes, realize that we are the worst, okay? But let that drive you to Jesus Let it drive you to the cross, not away. Secondly, in being, as it relates to being, speaking trustworthiness, all of your speech should be good and true. All of your speech should be good and true. As a follower of Jesus, 
All of your speech should be good and true. This isn't just talking to just people. Remember, Jesus is talking to his followers, right? He's saying all your speech should be good and true. Take a look at verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And you know how I like to show you the whole story, you know, the whole counsel of God. This actually is echoed in another part of the Bible in James 5.12, where James writes, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, those of us who know Jesus claim to know the truth, and we claim to love the truth so we must speak the truth always. John fourteen six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And if we know, the, if we know him, we know the truth. If we love him, we love the truth. And so we should speak that which is good and true. Just a few chapters earlier in John 8, Jesus records that Satan, the enemy, is the father of lies. And we know that lies come from the evil one. The reference there is John 8, 44, where it says, You are are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus makes his point in another passage later in the book of Matthew, actually, in chapter 23, when he's giving the woes to the Pharisees and the scribes, okay? And then it's Matthew uh, 23, 16 through 22. He's talking to him. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. They were always making little legal distinctions. Well, you can do this, you can't do that, you know. It's like running a maze. In my study, I discovered that throughout church history, there have been a few groups who've actually overread what Jesus is meaning here. They've rejected any oath, any take of any oath, and actually have forbid them. But I, as well as scholars that I trust, would say that's, that's a bit of an overread of what's going on here. So let's not get weird. Remember, that's one of our rules on it. Let's do what the Bible says. Let's not get weird with it. Let's, let's trust that what the Bible says is true. Let's not get weird even if for good reason. Because I think that's wanting to uh, hold to what you believe Christ is teaching, I think, is a good thing. Um, I just think they overread in that. 
And these are throughout church history, the Anabaptists, I think the Quakers kind of did that. And, um, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. So don't use misleading oaths. But oaths, such as marital vows or oaths of office, so if you get elected president, you have to take an oath of office, you know, I think those are okay. I don't think that's against this biblical teaching, okay? But our second main point, you know, I said there was only two main points. You probably thought you were going to get out here earlier, but that's not true. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be just as long. But the second main point that I want to cover is, is to serve others sacrificially. So after Jesus goes through and he's talking about oaths and how we, how we promise things or say things to one another, we go into the next passage where we're going to talk about serving others sacrificially. This may seem like a strange section for this to appear, a strange place for it to appear. However, we know that our words and our actions are partners. Your words and your actions should be buddies, okay? Um, you know, like, like a buddy cop movie, you know? Your words and your actions should go together. Once in a while, one of them goes a little crazy sometimes because you're not perfect, right? Uh, like Riggs and Murtaugh and Lethal Weapon. Uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, your words and actions are like partners. Proverbs six sixteen through 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives, that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. It's not often that words and actions are separated. And just like our words, God sees it all. He's a sovereign king. He witnesses our actions Christians are citizens of the kingdom who are blessed, as we read in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and who must live differently in this world as citizens of God's kingdom and his children, not in order to be blessed, but because we are blessed. In the remaining verses of our passage, Jesus lays out five principles that are going to guide us in how we deal with the issue of retaliation as those who follow him. And as you may now suspect, these are vastly different from the way our world and our culture react and retaliate. Because Christianity is really countercultural. But let's look at this second part of this passage, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So let's just break this down in these five ways we're supposed to deal with this in regards to retaliation or dealing with these people coming to us coming against us. Number one was don't retaliate with violent aggression. Don't retaliate violently. The goal of the referenced law here was to ensure the fair and balanced judgment and sentencing. There was to be no discrimination and it was to be acted upon with prejudice, excuse me, without prejudice. It was intended as a guide for the court's and not to guide individuals in extracting personal revenge. 
According to our buddy Charles Quarles, that we hear from a lot, Jesus' words were probably a bit scandalous. At the most, shocking at the least to the hearers in the hills that were listening to his teaching. Telling them not to resist an evildoer was a wild thought to them. Heck, it's a wild thought to most of us as well. Jesus didn't want us to treat them as enemies, but as neighbors. Paul writes this in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You ever heard the phrase, I don't get mad, I get even? This phrase is against the ethics that Paul espoused there in the book of Romans. It's against the ethic that Paul espoused for disciples of Christ. It's against Jesus' ethic of how we live as citizens in the kingdom of heaven, and it must be a foreign concept to us as well. We are called to follow Jesus and do as he did, even though it's hard and even though it may cause suffering to us. Those who want to follow Jesus must do as he did. Number two, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. This has become culturally uh, used all the time. Even though I think probably the majority of people who say it probably don't, might not even know where it comes from. Turn the other cheek. Somebody slaps you on your cheek, give them the other one. The best example of this principle is Jesus Christ who willingly went through a beating by men and the most painful and humiliating death you can likely imagine. And he did it all willingly. And from the cross, he asks in Luke 23, 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. He... Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took the beating that we deserved and turned the other cheek with, in the words of one scholar, forgiveness on his lips. Literally. May we do likewise. Third, let grace abound in you more than your demands. Or you could say, let grace abound in you more than that which is demanded of you. If you get attacked legally, so we're speaking of like legally being attacked, you extend grace. Do what the law says, right? And then go even further. How, does, how do you know you're extending someone grace? You do what's required of you, and then you go even further. Show an amount of grace 
to the person demanding from you that far exceeds what they're asking of you. If he wants your shirt, go ahead and give him your coat too. God is your provider and your defense. The world will be astounded by this unselfish attitude. It's revolutionary. Are you starting to see as we, as we walk through this, this, this sermon on that Jesus is preaching to, the, to his followers about what the Christian life is really supposed to look like? Are you starting to see why the gospel is so attractive to the world when they see Christians actually living out the Christian life? Yes, the gospel does offend some people and turn them off. But when unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus, see those who do Jesus actually living like they know Jesus and treating them like Jesus wants us to treat them, it is so antithetical to the way the world is. It's so countercultural that they're astounded by it. And it gives us opportunity for gospel conversations. Fourth, be willing to go the extra mile with people. The saying, go the extra miles, become kind of culturally appropriated in our language, like turn the other cheek. I need to explain the background of the phrase for you to understand the depth of, of what the Bible means here. The Jews were under Roman rule. They were subjugated under Rome. And as subjects of Rome, the citizens of Israel were legally bound to assist the military if they were called upon to do so. So uh, in, in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter, right? And we think of Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry the cross of Christ because he was legally bound to do whatever the military wanted him to do. Ferguson tells us that the Jews hated the practice because it was an illustration of being a ruled and subjugated people. And of course, as you might imagine, it was pretty open to being abused by the soldiers. So according to the illustration that Jesus uses, the Jews were legally required to carry a load given to them by a Roman soldier for one mile, which in Latin means a thousand paces. So if you're a a Jewish person, and you're in that day, in biblical times, New Testament times, and you're ruled over by Rome, if a Roman soldier comes up to you and says, here, I've got this load of whatever they carry, okay? Here's my, my armor and, and my spear and my food and, uh, you know, a present for my kid, whatever. I don't know, um, right? And they say, here, you're going to carry this for me. You don't have a choice. You have to carry it for 1,000 paces for a mile. Now, Jesus' principle would not have you go the 1,000 paces, go the mile, and then just drop it at their feet. I'm done. That's all I got to do. No. Jesus tells them to keep going. Go another mile. Go another 1,000 paces. The first mile, listen, the first mile was driven by the legally, uh, legal bindedness of the people who were being ruled over. The second mile in Jesus' illustration was driven by compassion. When we live this way, it breeds gospel opportunities. Imagine being able to answer the questions of the person who you're carrying the thing for, who you're going the extra mile for, with the gospel as the reason for why you have such compassion on them. 
Imagine the difference that makes in someone's eternity. They asked you to do something, you went what they asked you to do, and you went further. Well, thanks. Thanks for staying so long and helping me with that. Why? Yeah, well, Jesus helped me when I was deep in sin with no way out. It gives you an opportunity to have gospel conversations. Fifth, be ready to help those in need. Be ready to help those in need. In the last verse for today, verse 42, Jesus is addressing when someone comes into your life or across your path with a legitimate and desperate need. This is not a person who's lazy or irresponsible, but someone who's hurting and needs your help. And you have the means to give them aid in this situation. According to Jesus, help them. Go for it. Jump in. The Old Testament, which they likely would have been familiar with, covered the responsibility of the people to help the poor. The Jews, understand this, the Jews were a very proud people. They would have rather done anything else. They would have rather died than beg for anything. The people that were willing to beg would be people with a legitimate need. Okay? This isn't like the stories of the guy, you know, who's panhandling in Chicago or New York and the reporter follows him home and he's driving a Cadillac and lives in an uptown apartment and he's making $60,000 a year panhandling. Our motive is to help because we've been helped. Now, I want to tell you something. I didn't plan necessarily on sharing this because if I use myself in illustrations, I like it to only be where I'm the villain, okay? Because um, I don't want you to, like, think higher of me than you should, okay? Because um, I'm like you, trying to follow Jesus, all right? Sinning, repenting, following Jesus, Okay? But imagine I just prepared this sermon. It was all done on Friday. Finished it up Friday afternoon. Yesterday, I'm driving home, and uh, I rode with a friend who lives in Washington, now my Peoria. So we drove from Indiana to Washington, and I got picked up my truck, which is in the parking lot of his church. And I get in my truck, and I'm headed back up here. And I decide I'm going to make a stop or two. Okay, so... I'm driving along, I'm talking to Bethany, and I see the sign, or actually I saw the neighborhood I was in, and I realized that Avanti's was there. Now, my family loved to go to Avanti's. I love to go there because I could feed my whole family, and it didn't cost me an arm and a leg, um, because it's reasonably priced. But Avanti's is a Peoria-area Italian restaurant. It's really good. Um, But it's like homemade Italian if you weren't Italian, okay? Uh, (laughs) If that makes any sense. Um, But anyway... They have great bread. So I think, well, Kenan just the other day was saying, man, I really wish we could get Avanti's because we used to live down there. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I'll stop and I'll get some loaves of their bread. They're like 16-inch loaves, right, and bring them home. So I go in. I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know how many to get. You don't want to just get one. That may not be enough, right? So I got four. Um, and <laughs> so they package them up and they wrapped them in cellophane for me. It was real nice, you know, and they're like that long. So I not that, like I got a baby, right, you know, with my bread. And I go out and I get in the truck and I head off and I'm, I'm in Peoria and I decide I'm going to go stop um, at a, I was going to go to this used bookstore that I like because I've still got a bunch of credit there from when I lived there. I thought, well, I'll go stop at the book nook. 
Uh, and on my way there, I actually ended up never making it to the book nook because I stopped to look at vinyl records. That's a whole other story. Not, 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 doesn't mean anything to this, but I'm, I'm over close to where Bethany used to teach school, and uh, there's a guy um, panhandling on the side of the road. He's got a cardboard sign that says, homeless, hungry. And I, we saw that a lot. In, there's a lot of people I got in Peoria. And uh, usually I just drove by. But I just prepared this message the day before, right? And I've got four loaves of warm bread next to me, in this, literally right next to me in the seat. And I used to think, well, you know, if I give somebody money or whatever, they might use it to buy something that I don't want them to buy or whatever. You know what? That's, that's between them and God. What's important is that I'm obedient to what God has called me to do. And so here I am, and I see this guy begging and the light turns green, and it's a turning lane. He's right there, and like I can't stop. There's all kinds of people behind me. So I, roll, I grab the bread, and I roll down the window, and here I hand him this 16-inch floppy loaf of bread out there. It said, bless you, as I'm driving by. Our motive to help has to be because we've been helped. And don't think that's not a hero story on me because I've driven by those guys a hundred times if I've driven by once and not done anything. We were spiritually bankrupt as beggars, mired in sin with no way out. And Jesus reached down with compassion, with love, and with kindness and rescued us out of our brokenness and our sin by his death on the cross in our place. He absorbed the wrath of God that we rightly and justly deserve because of our sin, our sin nature, and he died. He was our perfect sacrifice. Then he rose from the grave bodily three days later. And because we have been shown such great love and grace and forgiveness, that if we put our, our faith, our hope, and our trust in him alone for salvation, we will get reconciled to God. Well, given the righteousness of Christ on us, we are blessed. We're able to live this new life and we get eternity with Jesus in a real place called heaven. But because we've been shown such great love and grace and forgiveness and kindness and mercy and amazing grace, We must help those who are in need as well. Friends, when the gospel takes hold of our hearts, it changes our actions as well. So as we conclude this morning, I'm going to invite the musicians to come back up and and we're going to sing another song. I want to ask you this question. How's your heart? I don't mean the red thing in your chest that's pumping blood, okay? But the seat of who you are, your soul. How's your heart? How do you react when people are aggressive to you or demand from you? Do you react as the world or do you react as as Jesus would have you react? Are you a person who is full of forgiveness or do you lay in the grass and wait to get even? I'm calling you this morning to repent, to turn away from your sinful desires, your desire for revenge and retaliation. Hey, I get it too, guys. 
to turn away from that sin and turn to Jesus and believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus died for your sin too. It wasn't just those other people's sin, right? It was your sin and you got a lot of it, right? I want to invite you to repent of your sin and to trust Jesus. You may say, Pastor Cal, I'm already a Christian. I've already had my salvation experience where I came to know Jesus, where I first heard the gospel and trusted in Christ for salvation. But is there some area where you've let bitterness creep in or you've let a desire for a revenge on someone where you really haven't forgiven that person, you're just waiting until you have an opportunity to really tell them what, what? When something bad happens to that person, do you get excited? Next week, we're going to talk about loving your enemies. This isn't going to get any easier, guys. But it's going to have a whole lot of grace. Because just when I think, man, I, you know, man, I mess it up all the time. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think, oh, well, I can't afford to help out people. I can't, you know, whatever. Jesus shows me such grace. He shows me such grace. He shows you that grace as well. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And, and this morning, if Christ has spoken to your heart through his word, uh, if the Holy Spirit's moved in you, I just give you this time to respond. Uh, maybe instead of singing, you need to stand there and bow your head in prayer and repent of sin. Maybe you need to pray for someone who has done something against you and you really are waiting to just get them. Maybe you need to surrender your life to Christ for the first time and trust the gospel. If that's you, any of those things, and and you you can just cry out to God. You don't need anybody else. You can cry out to Christ this morning and trust him. But if you want to talk to somebody, I would love to talk with you. We've got uh, some of the deacons who are here who would love to talk with you. We've got other people who know Jesus and love Jesus who would love to talk to you. It's likely you could turn to someone next to you and ask them, and they would love to talk to you about it. But I'll be around afterwards if you want to set up a time to, to, to chat or if you want to talk you know, for a little bit after church. But let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll worship. God, thank you so much for this time. God, I thank you for this message and your word that we're not, we don't have to worry about only what we are legally bound to. We have to think about all the words we say. And when we think about all the words we say, God, we realize that we sin and, and we break our word. And we're untrustworthy at times. And thank you, Jesus, that shows us our need for you, that you died on our behalf. That those of us who love you, who, who, who are our believers, who've trusted in you, who you have given that great gift of faith, that we don't have to worry about losing our standing with you. you you're not going to love us any less. But you continue offer forgiveness, continually offer forgiveness. And if there are those here, Jesus, who don't know you, I pray today would be the day that they surrender their lives to you. If there are those people who are watching online, maybe they just stumbled on this as they saw some ad or something and they just stumbled on here. I pray they would release whatever it is they're holding back, that they would repent of their sin, they would trust the good news of the gospel that Jesus, you alone are able to save. Help us be a people that is known for keeping the word, but known for our repentance, our forgiveness, and our love 
for all those around us. Help us speak the truth and help us live sacrificial lives, Jesus. Move in our hearts as we sing. In Jesus' name I pray.